says, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I'll never fail you. I'll never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that's come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food, which don't help those who follow him. We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We're looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Obey your spiritual leaders. Do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they're accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Pray for us, for our conscience is clear, and we want to live honorably in everything we do. And especially pray that I'll be able to come back to you soon. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. And I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to pay attention to what I've written in this brief exhortation. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released from jail. If he comes here soon, I'll bring him with me to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the believers there. The believers from Italy send their greetings. May God's grace be with you all. Father God, at the culmination of the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, now 13 weeks later, Father God, I ask that you would speak to us more clearly than you have yet. God, I thank you that for many, their lives are in transition, and this book is a book of transitions from the old to the new, from the temporary to the permanent, from shadow to substance. Father God, bring us into a rock-solid relationship with the rock Jesus Christ. We ask, we pray today in Jesus' name. Everybody said Amen, amen. Thank you for your patience. You can be seated. I would have stopped at some point. I just didn't know where to stop um, in those verses. And so let's tackle it a little bit. Some scholars believe that Hebrews chapter 13, or at least parts of it, were not originally a part of the book of Hebrews. Like it was an addition or it was an appendix to the book of Hebrews. One theologian believed chapter 13 was written for those living in the world, whereas chapters 1 through 12 were written for believers living together. Others think that chapter 13 includes words not found in the rest of Hebrews. Some felt chapter 13 was an abrupt change 
From chapter 12, R.A. Torrey said that verses 1 through 7 were a formless jumble of rather commonplace admonitions. Yet some theologians just simply felt that chapter 13 was less carefully composed than the rest of Hebrews, but it was inspired nonetheless. So let's look at it. Even though chapter 13 might be looser in structure, it's more personal than any other chapter. And we're going to see that today. So get ready to get challenged a little bit. Here in chapter 13, you see the heart of the writer for the church. It's readers. You see the heart of the writer for the church come through more clearly. This is evident from verse 1 in which the Message Bible writes, Stay on good terms with each other, held together by love. Held together by love. At the time of this writing, referring to other Christians as brothers and sisters was something new. It wasn't commonplace. That happened years later. It was something new back then. Even in the early church, Christians saw themselves as family. I can remember when I first realized this. I can remember being a young, single Christian guy, and I was struggling with some things, and Lisa and I were a part of uh, the choir, and we had a Christmas um, presentations, and I wasn't feeling the best, and yet I really felt like I needed to be there. I made a commitment to sing at these large evangelistic events that we would do. They were called Singing Christmas Trees, and I remember just getting there that day, and as we were warming up in the back before we went out to perform, um, I remember God speaking to my heart and saying, this is your family. This is where you belong. And I remember just tears welling up in my eyes as I shared it, and you know, and some of my buddies got it, and some of my buddies didn't get it, but it was a moment that I'll never forget as I felt like my church family was more family than my own flesh and blood and how important it was to me in that moment. When I got saved, and I don't know about you, but it seemed like believers wanted to be together as often as possible and do life together. Today, in church, it seems like believers want to get together as little as possible and do life together <laughs> not as often. When we grew up in the church, my wife and I, um, it seemed like we were always at the church and the Christians always wanted to be together. It seems like today church is competing. It's just one more thing in a busy schedule, just one more thing. Man, we're going to try to make it to church this week. Pastor John, we made it to church like three times a week, and I remember feeling like I missed out if I missed one of those services. Sunday morning, Sunday night, midweek service, and that's not to mention our commitment to the church as we both sang in the choir. Practice was on Thursday night. So we were there all the time, and I don't ever remember thinking, man, I am at church way too much. I got to cut back. This is getting out of hand. This is crazy. I don't ever remember having that conversation with anyone, yet today, statistics say that the average churchgoer attends twice a month, twice a month. And man, I thought I was a slacker if I wasn't attending twice a week. I, I believe that that seems to be the trend today, whereas we grew up in the church trying to be together as often as we could because we wanted to be around the family. Today, it seems like people want to be at church as little as possible. And so hopefully, I'm challenging you today there. I don't know about you, but my marriage and my family needs to have the presence of God washing over them as often as possible, as often as possible. Um, and we're not claiming to be perfect and to have it all together, but I know the God who is, and I want to be in his presence as much as I can. And there's nothing like corporate worship. There's nothing like the presence of God today. 
So let's look at some of the admonitions that are given to the church here. Verses 2 through 7, it says, don't forget to show hospitality. It says, remember those in prison and those being mistreated, abused, as if you were suffering with them. I, can, I was just having a conversation about this this week. Think about the new homes that are being built today. Are you seeing any of them built with a large front porch, a wraparound front porch? No, most new homes that are being built today, they've got a front door, and everything's on the back. It's almost like we're communicating that we don't want to hang out with our neighbors. You know, we don't want to, you know, if we know you, you can come over and let's all go in the back. We don't want anybody to see us. Back in the day, we all hung out on the front porch. Um, we knew our neighbors. We waved to them. Cars would stop by and they'd yell at us from the window. You know, I mean, and we didn't even have a big front porch and everybody was on that. And I come from a family of seven and we had a small porch. It seems like everybody was more interactive and they were more friendly. The Bible says that Christians are to be hospitable. They're to show hospitality. Why? Because hospitality is seen. You see it. They're to show hospitality. And it says, goes on, it says, honor marriage and be faithful because God will judge the sexually immoral. Whenever you see sexually immoral, it covers anything and everything sexually that is not compatible with Christianity. Sex when you're not married, Sex with people who are married, but not to you. It covers incest. It covers same-sex um, sexuality, homosexuality, lesbianism. covers all of that. Whenever you see sexual immorality, it covers any illicit sexual interaction that is not compatible with Christianity. Notice it says, honor marriage. And then it says, be faithful because God will judge the sexually immoral. Not an easy message to preach in our culture today. Goes on to say, don't love money and be content. You've gotta believe that God will not fail to abandon you. He will help you. Do not fear. You've gotta believe that. Money is not your source. God is your source. Now, I just wanna read just a portion of scripture real quick to you. Psalm 118. Guys are quiet on me today. That's all right. I'm not insecure. I'll make it. Psalm 118, look at verse 5. I'll read 5 through 9. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look and triumph at those who hate me. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Do not fear. God is for you. He is not against you. It's never an issue of whether God's for you. It's always an issue of whether you're for God. God's not choosing sides. God's not saying, I like these people over here more than I like those people over there. God doesn't choose sides. He is the side and we choose him. Let's not make it difficult. God is the side and we either choose him or we don't. We either surrender him to him or we don't. We either are living off of somebody else's faith or we have our own. Trust in him. He's for you. He's not against you. Wants the best for you, but you cannot know the best that he wants for you until you know him who knows the best. Okay, are you with me? Amen. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of the good that's come from them. Follow their example. I cannot help but think of all the leaders that I have been under throughout the years. 
Some of them are not even in ministry any, anymore. Some of them were, are divorced and out of the ministry, but I still think of their example when they were serving the Lord that they were to me, and I'm learning from the mistakes they made. I'm not just remembering the good, I'm also remembering the bad because I don't want to repeat the bad that I've seen. Amen? Notice it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So yesterday is time past what you've experienced. Today is time present what you're experiencing temporarily. Forever is time endless what you will experience eternally. And it says Jesus is the same through it all. And that word same means identical. It means identical. Hope you get this. The same Jesus that brought you through the past will bring you through today and lead you forever. From the heroes of our faith in chapters 11 to the unknown future, Jesus is identical. He doesn't change. He doesn't need to change. He is the same God that delivered. The same Jesus that spoke to Moses out of the burning bush is the same God today that you serve. The same God today that you invited into your heart. The same Lord that you surrendered your life to. Same God, identical. Identical. He's just as powerful today as he was then. Just as powerful. The same Jesus that appeared to Joshua, the commander of the host, is the same Jesus that you serve today. Same, identical God. He doesn't change. I don't care what culture does. I don't care what people do. I don't care how many Christians have let you down, how many clergy have let you down. Jesus Christ does not change. Does not change. Yesterday, today, forever. Your strength comes from the very grace he gives, not rules about him. The message says the grace of Christ is the only good ground for life. Products named after Christ don't seem to do much for those who buy them. I love that. Goes on to say, let's live outside with Jesus. I really love what Eugene Peterson, how he words it in the Message Bible. He says, so let's go outside where Jesus is, where the action is. Not trying to be privileged insiders, but taking our share in the abuse of Jesus. Love it. This insider world is not our home. We have our eyes peeled for the city about to come. Let's take our place outside with Jesus, no longer pouring out the sacrificial blood of animals, but pouring out sacrificial praises from our lips to God in Jesus' name. Then it goes on to give us instructions on how we are to live like this in verses 16 and 17. Sacrifices that please God are doing good and sharing with those in need. Obeying spiritual leaders is a part of sacrificial living. Did you catch that? Obeying spiritual leaders is a part of sacrificial living. I'm not saying it's always easy to obey your spiritual leaders. It's part of sacrificial living. You know what, Pastor John, I don't get it, but I guess I'm going to trust you. You've lasted this long. You must know something. Um, you must hear from God occasionally, so I'm going to just trust that, um, that, that, that you know, God's placed you here and that he's going to somehow use you in spite of all the weaknesses and flaws I see in you, which I'm not going to tell you about. I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust. And I'll do the same for you. Obey spiritual leaders. It's a part of your sacrificial living. Why? Well, because we're accountable to God for you. And my employer doesn't have a time clock. And we're accountable for you. And I don't know how else is going to shake. And there's not a ton of scripture about it. But in some way, spiritual leaders are going to give an account for you. They're accountable to God for you. We're accountable for you. And so let us speak well of you. 
Let us speak well of you. Don't make things hard for spiritual leadership. Pray for them. Pray for them. Be a joy to them so that their conscience would be clear. You do not want them having a head full of you. Live honorably in all that you do and pray for them so that they would be able to live honorably in all that they do. And I just want to say this. felt God put it on my heart, and I want to clarify it because I always think, you know, what would Lisa think if I just left this statement hanging? I better clarify here. We're going to be talking after the service. I'm sure I speak for pastors everywhere when I say it's our deepest desire to use the bulk of our time wrestling with the Savior and not the saints. So let me say this. By wrestling, I mean doing the work for you that you don't want to do concerning your spiritual walk. I'm not going to wrestle with your will. Okay? And there are two kinds of believers when it comes to working out your salvation, and it says we're to do it with fear and trembling. There are the believers that they want help, and they want to agree in prayer, and they want to be held accountable, and then there are the believers that are under conviction, and they really don't want to do anything about what they're under conviction over. And God's not going to strong arm you. And no spiritual leader in his, right, in his right mind is going to strong arm you to do anything that you don't want to do. A lot of people are not set free from stuff because they don't want to let go of it. They want it. And that's why it's there. I can remember years ago when I was a youth pastor, there was one of my youth leaders, he was a successful guy. And how many of you know that the devil, the devil loves to, to just take people out? And he's got a strategy and he's got schemes, the Bible says. And this gentleman worked for a Christian organization and he was responsible for the web design. So he was on the internet all the time and he struggled with pornography. And one service he comes forward and he said, Pastor John, I'm, I'm really struggling. And I said, okay, here's the deal. And he was one of my youth leaders and one of, my, um, one of my young people found a, a porno magazine um, under one of the seats in his boat. And, uh, and I said, here's the deal. I said, you're either embarrassed that this has become known or you really want to be set free from it. If you want to be set free from it, talk to me in a week and we'll pray. I said, look, it, it, most men that I know of have struggled with this issue in some way, shape, or form. In some way, shape, or form. I said, if you want to be free, we'll agree. I am not going to wrestle with your will. If you want this to stay in your life, it's staying. I've seen people get set free from smoking cigarettes like that when they truly wanted to be set free. And so sure enough, he comes back a week later and he goes, Pastor John, I really, really, really want to I want this out of my life. I go, all right, man, let's pray. And sure enough, it was never a struggle. And then a beautiful young lady came into his life. What are all the things that God can't bring to you because you don't have any room right now because your hands are full of the things that you want to hang on to? Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above in whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. What's all the good that God wants to bring, but you're too busy hanging on to stuff that you don't want to part with? 
It's almost like God saying, I want to bring this to you right now. I want to give this to you right now. I can't because your hands are so full. I don't know about you, but you, you can't reap until you sow. There's no harvest till you sow. And you're going to find on the other side of surrender some of the most amazing blessings that you could ever, ever know, ever experience, ever experience. Like on the other side of crazy giving is blessings that you could favor and blessing that you could never possibly know and will never get there. Since when is our God a God of calculated risks? Since when is our God a God that promises you all the blueprint before you take step one? Where's faith in that? All you analyticals, you're just going to have to leap. You're going to have to step out, and you're going to have to find that God is a God that can be trusted, and he will lead and you will follow. He doesn't have to tell you everything. You don't have to understand everything to follow the living God. But follow him, you must. But follow him, you must. In verses 20 and 21, the writer ends with a prayer. And notice that the prayer that the writer prayed that God would equip all that's needed for doing God's will. Real important that you catch this. God equips you with all that you need for doing his will, not your own. God, I've, I've been coming to you about this again and again and again. Yeah. Did you ever notice that when something isn't God for you that you're really not equipped to handle it? Because God equips you to do those things that please him and that have to do with his will. Let me show you this in another place. Go to 1 John chapter 5. Oh, we're off the notes and we're going there. 1 John 5. You want to know where confidence comes as a believer in Jesus? Look at verse 14. It says, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our request, we also know that he'll give us what we ask for. Older versions say anything according to his will. We're confident that God will meet anything we ask for when it's according to his will. Let me ask you this, those things that you're praying about, those prayers that God hasn't seemed to answer yet, is it your will or is it God's will? Is it something that would please you or is it something that would please God? And please, don't get crazy and think, well, Pastor John, the things that would please God are no fun for me. They're not pleasing to me at all. Are you serious? The God that created you, the God that fashioned and formed you in your mother's womb, the God that made the very heart that's beating within you right now does not know what pleases you most. I can't even find in scripture where it says that God will make us happy, but I can find out where it says God gives us joy unspeakable. Why is it that we always need temporary happiness when God would give us lasting joy? Do you see the trade? We always want the temporary. We always want the fix right now when God's saying, I've got something much better for you. I've got a life to give you, not a moment. I've got a future for you, not, not a, a, a temporary, you know, great day. God wants to give you the best life ever, not just wonderful moments once in a while. 
not just temporary happiness here and there. See, we, we always are thinking in terms of here and now and temporary, and God's always thinking in terms of eternal, so much bigger. We're always thinking us first, and God's always thinking others first. And God's trying to get us to a place where we can be a benefit and a blessing to others. Not just padding our future, but being used by God to make a difference in the future of others. God's always trying to bring us to that place to get us off the back deck and onto the front porch. Always trying to bring us to that place. It says that God would produce through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. While God equips us for all that's needed for doing his will, he will produce through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that's pleasing to him. There's power in living a life that's pleasing to God. There is an equipping that takes place when you make up your mind that you're going to do God's will, whatever that is. Well, Pastor John, if God would tell me what his will for my life is and I would just do it. <laughs> oh, no. No, it don't work like that. No, I wish it did. I really did. I, I wish it did. Every time you see God's will spoken of in the New Testament, it's always active so that you may prove what is that good, what is that acceptable, what is that perfect will of God. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12 in the series coming up next so that you'll prove. God's will is proven over time. I think God can reveal a direction to you, but his entire will, you can't handle that. I couldn't handle that. None of us could handle that. I mean, Lisa, would you and I have signed up for this if we would have known everything? Oh, my gosh. I'll take that, and I'll take that, that right there. Can we skip that? Can we skip that? I'll take. Jesus said, I didn't come to do my will, but the will of the one who sent me. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. It, Jesus literally said that doing God's will was a spiritual nourishment to him that the disciples couldn't even grasp. I have food to eat that you don't even know of. John 4, 34. There is a nourishment. There is an action when it comes to doing God's will. Well, Pastor John, what would you have me do? Step out. Do something. Get involved. All next month, we're going to be encouraging people that have been attending here a while. Get involved, man. Get involved. Help out. Lay your hands to the plow. Do something. Do something. Don't worry. Over time. Over time. I mean, Lisa and I went from singing in the choir, and then we worked with youth and college and career. And then the next thing you know, I'm placed over youth and ordained and brought on staff. Long story, summarizing because of time. And then as, as I was faithful with that, the next thing you know, I'm being asked to pray about pastoring a church. If you were to ask me, I would have told you God's will was for me to be a youth pastor in Grand Haven for the rest of my life. I was starting. God was steering. Start so he can steer. That's the difference. That's the difference between the people that discover what God's will is for their life. They've started, and now God's steering. 
I don't know, man. I started by just attending a life group, and now I'm over one. I don't know. Um, I, I, I used to be in the youth ministry, and now I'm a youth leader. I don't know. Start. Let him steer. Very, very difficult for God to steer something that's not started. You ever try to steer a car that's not moving, that hasn't even been started? You ever try to steer a boat that's still tethered to the dock? I think we make it hard on God sometimes. If we're going to find out, step out. If we're going to find out what God's, for, God's got for us, we're going to have to step out. And I'm encouraging you to step out. You can know. He's not keeping anything from you. He wants to reveal things to you. I think every once in a while you got to say, okay, here I am, Johnny Barik, and I love his story. He's on a missions trip in Mexico. God speaks to him and tells him that he wants him to come to Mexico and be a missionary. So he comes back to the very spot that God spoke to him and said, here I am. Here I am. And in a very, very short time, God supernaturally taught Johnny Spanish. And now he is raising up Latin youth to evangelize the world. Crazy, crazy. He's one of like 10 guys that John Maxwell personally mentors every month. Just crazy. And all he did was go back to the very spot that God spoke to him at and said, here I am. What, you know, what do you want me to do? Sometimes it just takes stepping out and saying, here I am. Here I am. God, I'm, I'm moving. Steer me. I've started. Steer me. And let God, let God direct you. Let God direct you. We never knew we were going to end up in Ionia. Man, we built our house in Grand Haven. We were content being there. God wasn't done steering. And I guarantee he's got stuff that he wants to show you and reveal to you all along the way, but you got to be moving. You got to be moving. Do not mix, miss next month's series. It's going to be really good. It's called Living Sacrifices, and I'm going to be talking about stuff like this, and we're going to go through the entire chapter of Romans 12. I want to close, and I want to pray that God would equip and that he would produce in you all that you need to do what he has for you to do. What he has for you to do. I just want to pray over you, and I want to give opportunity for those of you that haven't surrendered to him for whatever reason. I want to give you an opportunity to.